Are you looking for a book that clearly explains the differences between Mormonism and Christianity? Well, if so, Mormonism 101 by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson may be what you're looking for. Mormonism 101 is a great overview of the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Pick up your copy at the Utah Christian Research Center, located right there at 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue looking at books that were given away as Christmas gifts by the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints between the years 1981 and 2017. Eric, how can people find the quotations that we're going to be citing? They can just go to our website, mrm.org, and then uh, search for Christmas books. And that will give you the page that will have all of the different books that we're reviewing. And you can just click on Gospel Doctrine from 1990 to see all of the quotes that we're giving today, as well as others that we won't have time to give. And as Eric mentioned, this book was given away by the First Presidency for Christmas of 1990. And in yesterday's show, we were talking about some statements from this book, Gospel Doctrine, that spoke of the authority of the church and how members must submit themselves to what they call the legally constituted authority of the church. This quotation deals with revelation, personal revelation, but I think it comes basically under that same kind of category that individual members of the church are not supposed to come up with information that conflicts with the leadership. What does it say on page 42? Whenever you see a man rise up claiming to have received direct revelation from the Lord to the church, independent of the order and channel of the priesthood, you may set him down as an imposter. Now, what this means is, is Individual members are allowed and even expected to receive personal revelation, but this personal revelation is only for themselves, not for anyone higher than themselves in the church, certainly not to correct the first presidency. But here's what I find kind of interesting about this statement, Eric. When they say that someone comes up with revelation that conflicts with what the proper channel of the priesthood is supposed to be, you can set them down as an imposter. Now, I want to just take that argument and take it a step further. Isn't this basically what we do with the leaders of the LDS Church? Because they have said that they have come up with direct revelation and it conflicts with revelation that has already been given to the church through the New Testament specifically. Why is it, though, that we are not allowed to call those men imposters for bringing up contradictory messages? Because certainly that's exactly what they've done. 
Let that be a lesson to all Latter-day Saints. If you want to have personal revelation, you have to make sure it's in conformity with what the leadership says, or you're wrong. And yesterday we had mentioned that the church had said that it was a democratic institution, according to uh, page 69. It's the most democratic institution in the world, but that's not the case, because it doesn't matter how many people agree with you who are Latter-day Saints. You're all wrong unless you are in agreement with the leadership. Now let's continue to talk about contention because there's another statement that Joseph F. Smith makes on page 372 of Gospel Doctrine where it says, only those who deny the faith contend. He wrote, you find the spirit of contention only among apostates and those who have denied the faith, those who have turned away from the truth and have become enemies of God and his work. There you will find the spirit of contention, the spirit of strife. And many times when you're talking with a Latter-day Saint, you might find that when your questions are starting to get a little bit too hard for them to answer, they will come back with this expression, well, I feel a spirit of contention. You could be as nice as you could possibly be, but that's an expression that basically is telling you that you've kind of overstepped the bounds, and now they're going to accuse you of doing something wrong. And in this case, contending. But is it really wrong to contend? And you'll also hear the idea that contention is of the devil. You hear that oftentimes in a conversation. What they're trying to do is shut down any opposition to what they are saying. But what does the Bible say about this, Bill? Well, if you look at Jude, verse 3, you're going to find that Jude actually encourages this kind of contention or asking questions and even defending what you believe to be true. In verse 3, It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Here we find the Christians are being encouraged to contend for the faith, to defend the faith. And it's the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we would have to assume that was delivered to the saints living at the time of Jude, not this latter-day revelation or this restored gospel of Mormonism, which was unknown to the believers at that time. And I say that because you're not going to find Christians in the first century believing many of the things that latter-day saints are told to believe today. This is the example that we get throughout the Bible. For instance, in uh, the book of uh, Acts, we see that Paul goes to Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17, and he goes up there and he has dialogue with them. He contends for the faith using good argumentation, using their own poets, and we see that through all of the different New Testament epistles. Also covered in this book is the subject of the family. And there's a very fascinating uh, statement that Joseph F. Smith makes in Gospel Doctrine. This is found on page 65. We expect to have our wives and husbands in eternity. We expect our children will acknowledge us as their fathers and mothers in eternity. I expect this. I look for nothing else. Without it, I could not be happy. The thought or belief that I should be denied this privilege hereafter would make me miserable from this moment. I never could be happy again without the hope that I shall enjoy the society of my wives and children in eternity. And then he goes on and says, If I had not this hope, I should be of all men most unhappy. For if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, first of all, let's talk about what you just mentioned at the end of that statement. He says, 
if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He places that in the context of not being with your wives and family. Now, first of all, let's understand Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the church, had six wives and 48 children. But is that the context of the passage that he's citing? That's coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is the context of this verse that he cites here incorrectly, I might add? Verses 17 through 19 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Do you see what Joseph F. Smith did? Like many other leaders in the LDS church, he takes a verse, rips it from its context, and gives it a meaning that was never intended by the Apostle Paul in the first place. Paul uses this verse to say that if there is no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised, we're not going to be raised. And if there is no resurrection, then we are of all men most miserable. Meaning that if all we have is this life in Christ, look at the suffering that we are going through. That's not something that most people would look forward to. What makes the suffering worthwhile is the fact that we will all be resurrected and spend eternity with Christ himself. That is the context of 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and forward, not what Joseph F. Smith says it to mean. But before we go on to the next one, Eric, Let me also draw this parallel. This statement by Joseph F. Smith sounds very similar to what Jeffrey R. Holland says in that video that people watch before they visit a temple open house. I recall years ago, the first time hearing Jeffrey R. Holland make this statement, I was appalled by it. I still am appalled by it, though I'm sure a lot of Latter-day Saints probably smiled and thought, oh, doesn't he love his family? But think about what's being said here, folks. What they are saying is is a person, a Latter-day Saint, would be unhappy in heaven without their family. That either tells me they know Jesus plays no role in their future, or Jesus is not as important as their family. What did Jeffrey R. Holland say in that video? And he still says it today in the different uh, temple open house uh, events that they have in a video. I don't know how to speak about heaven in the traditional, lovely, paradisiacal beauty that we speak of heaven. I wouldn't know how to speak of heaven without my wife, my children. It would, it would not be heaven for me. I think just about every evangelical could easily be able to speak about heaven even outside of the context that Holland is giving here. Why? Because our heaven is all centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, not our families. This is not the primary goal of people like Jeffrey R. Holland or Joseph F. Smith. Even though I would argue all of us as evangelicals would probably love nothing more than to see our families in heaven with us. Another citation from Gospel Doctrine on page 275, he said, We hold that no man who is marriageable is fully living his religion who remains unmarried. He is doing a wrong to himself by retarding his progress, by narrowing his experiences, and to society by the undesirable example that he sets to others, as well as he himself being a dangerous factor in the community. Now, Bill, remember, this is a Christmas book being given away in 1990. Imagine you're a single man reading this. How would you feel? 
Well, if you had the opportunity to be married, you better get married, uh, because if not, as he says, you must be some kind of dangerous factor in the community. Marriage is absolutely essential if an individual in the church hopes to receive celestial exaltation. You cannot reach exaltation. You cannot become a god in the next life if you're a male unless you are married. Not just married in a civil marriage, but you have to be married for time and eternity in one of many temples that the Mormon church has today. I I think that's a great point you're making. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, my subtitle says concerning the unmarried, and he encourages people not to get married, which what does a Latter-day Saint do with a passage like this in connection with what Joseph F. Smith has said? He's saying that you need to get married, and in Mormonism, certainly that's stress. But Paul is saying if you can do without, you can serve God much better. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, is a huge topic of interest among many Bible-believing Christians who want to reach their LDS friends and loved ones with the biblical message of hope and grace. If you're a Christian who wants to be better informed about the beliefs of the Mormon people, Mormonism Research Ministry wants to be a resource for you. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has worked hard to clearly articulate Mormon doctrine and history in order to better understand the issues that separate Mormonism from the Christian faith. At MR mrm.org, you'll find links to hundreds of articles as well as dozens of videos that will effectively educate you on this fascinating topic. Should your church need a live presentation? Simply contact MRM and schedule one of our several PowerPoint presentations that have helped thousands of Christians better understand the beliefs of their LDS neighbors. To schedule MRM at your church, write us at mrm.org or call 801-572-2153. Let MRM help you become a confident ambassador for Christ.